Hello, everyone. This is Adam West. Uh, maybe you're thrilled to buy adventures, right? On Batman there. Hmm? My secret, true identity: Bruce Wayne, millionaire philanthropist. Anyway, I'm glad to talk to you all and have the privilege of doing the following. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for I want my daddy now. Uh, what would you say about being on me? Daddy loves you. <laughs> daddy. of my father. I wonder what daddy is like. My father didn't like me. My father didn't like me. Show the man your power, big blast 
rhythm. Give them some of that tone. Showtime. Won't you smile while we kiss for this one? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. Very auspicious beginning. Sure, it's a talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about it? Whatever happens to bug you, that's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. Papa was a rolling stone. Wherever he laid his hat was his home. And when he I want my daddy now. A picture of my father. I wonder what daddy is like. of life is reduced to the common rubble of banality, war, murder, death, all the same to you as bottles of beer, and the daily business of life is a corrupt comedy. I know how to talk to people. Yeah, you bet your sweets, Mr. Connie. Hey, it's me, Chris T., back with another Aerial View. Heard every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time here on TheHoundNYC.com. Replays on Tuesday, same time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Only on TheHoundNYC.com, where you could also hear The Hound Howl. James, The Hound Marshall. Back on Sundays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., Eastern, and then Mark and Miriam crash in the party, the doo-wop chop shop of the air. Sundays, 5 to 7 p.m., and then Hound replays throughout the week. Aerial View, also a podcast, available wherever you get podcasts. I shouldn't say wherever. Most places, your Apple Podcasts, your uh, Google Play, your Spotify, your... uh, Hell, even SoundCloud. If I remember to update things over there on the SoundCloud. Just search for Aerial View. And you know, there are two Aerial Views. There's the original Aerial View. Aerial View Phase 1. It might have been more like Phases 1 and 2. Which uh, I did over the airwaves of WFMU from 1989 to 2016 and you know this show's anniversary was always in June I used to know the exact date now I just know it was in June sometime I, I can't I can't tell you if it was early June or later June or right about now it could be today for all I know first time Aerial View went on the air and uh, back then 1989 I mean, holy crap, 30 years of Aerial View, right? First of all. But 1989, just another summer, sound of the funky drummer. I was getting involved with Coney Island and uh, Dick Ziggin out of Coney Island, USA, and Richard Egan, one of the co-founders of the Coney Island Hysterical Society. And uh, I I was... Actually, I think I was even hosting or emceeing or DJing or doing all of the above for the music nights out on the boardwalk when Sideshows by the Seashore was on the boardwalk 
in what is now a Nathan's building. And boy, I tell you what, I was out at uh, Coney Island last Saturday doing my annual pre-check inspection, pre-trip inspection, because the Mermaid Parade is a week from tomorrow. I can't believe it. Mermaid Parade is eight days away. And the Mermaid Parade goes back to 1983. And uh, my first Mermaid Parade would have been 1986, the first one I saw, and then I started at some point emceeing that thing. And I think I've approached... Thir- I'm, a- I'm either at 30 years or 31 years of that shit or 32 years. I don't fucking know anymore. Doesn't really matter. What matters is that you go to ConeyIsland.com and you read up on the Mermaid Parade and you try to join the folks who show up every year. Last year, I believe it was uh, the NYPD who said there was over 800,000 people who would come out to see the parade. It's now a huge annual event. And I've seen this thing grow over the years, and i tell you what, it's something to see it. Last year was almost perfect. I mean, the weather was fantastic. It's always 10 degrees cooler near the shore, as Richard Egan used to say to me. I first met him doing the Florida Shark Show out of a semi-trailer with a big fold-down side on it. And a huge shark tank inside and some lady swimming them with the sharks. And um, I, I can only hope that the weather reports I'm seeing for Saturday, June 22nd, Mermaid Parade Day, hold. Because so far we're looking at a beautiful day of like 82 degrees, sunny all day. Maybe a little bit of clouds. chance of precipitation. I'm keeping an eye on this shit, ladies and gentlemen. Just to see where this goes. Because I'll tell you what, if if, if the skies open up and it starts raining, I'm still doing the parade. I'll still be there. But most of you will be like, yeah, I'm not going. Who wants to go to a parade in the rain? I'm really trying to work on my Eddie Lawrence impression. You know, the old philosopher. Is that what's bothering you, Bunky? Well, the number here is 760-422-5528. That spells 760-I-CALL-AV as an aerial view. And the number is in Palm Springs. So don't be surprised if uh, I call you back because I didn't hear your ring. And you see a Palm Springs area code pop. It says Palm Springs on your phone. Don't be shocked or surprised. Don't be like, who's calling me from... Honey, do we know anyone in Palm Springs? You know, one of those conversations. Um, But the Mermaid Parade, next Saturday, 1 p.m. kickoff time. Surf Avenue over by, like, 21st Street is pretty much where I'm going to be. Between, like, 20th and 21st Streets in the... I'll be on the... I'll be on the Bally stage, up behind the Mermaid podium. I'll be live talking the parade. I'll be emceeing that mother. And it's always a challenge. But, you know, I'm going to talk more about that next Friday. I just want to let you know what was going on, where I was going to be. And, um, you know, for years I couldn't talk about this on when I was doing my show on WFMU. WFMU always had very... They, they had, uh, I was going to say strict conflict of interest rules. I don't know if I would call them strict, but they were sure complete. And they were, uh, to my mind, they were draconian. And uh, I couldn't even talk about the Mermaid Parade. I couldn't say what I'm saying. I couldn't say what I just said to you. I couldn't say, hey, Saturday, June 22nd, come, and, come out to the Mermaid Parade. Because I would be promoting myself, see. I mean, never mind. That Coney Island, USA. Nonprofit arts organization. So I feel nonprofit arts organizations should help each other. And I used to, my argument used to be look, I, I give far more money to Coney Island, USA than they've ever given to me. I'm not sure what this is doing for my quote unquote career. I'm not sure anybody, if I'm walking down 29th Street in Manhattan, is going to stop and point and go, aren't you, Chris T., the voice of the Mermaid Parade? But, you know, I digress. It's not that much of a digression because tonight I wanted to talk about father figures. 
You know, I like to do this thing with a question mark and an exclamation point. Like you take one word and you put a question mark after it. You take another word, you put an exclamation point after it. You see what you get. So this this time, this week, uh, when I was sitting down to write my newsletter, and if you'd like to get the newsletter, it comes out every Tuesday. So that's why it's called See You Next Tuesday. Also because it makes me laugh. And, you know... Now, our current situation, while we're living in the Upside Down, I say get your laughs wherever you can, ladies and gentlemen. And if I get them from the name of my newsletter, so be it. But uh, the thing here is that I was trying to think of what to write about. Every uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, when I get around to sitting down thinking, you know, how can I coalesce all these thoughts I've had all, all week long? What... What is it I want to talk about in this thing? And, you know, I'm up to like 275 newsletters at this point. I've been doing this for a while, and I'm doing it mainly uh, because I've always liked to write. I think it helps with my writing. I think it's it's got a more permanent life than this thing, even though Aerial View becomes a podcast. And I guess podcasts, as long as you have electricity, you could have a podcast. Personally, I think a lot of you should be uh, cutting your podcasts as vinyl. So uh, after the apocalypse, we might be able to listen to them still. You know, you can listen to that stuff acoustically, is all I'm saying. Yeah, you know, I was reading about the, uh, the Universal Music Library fire. Big article about that in the New York Times and thinking about all of these uh, recordings that are now forever lost to time. You know, you think that just because... Something is digitized and stored away on a drive somewhere that will always have it. And, you know, that's not the case. They lost drives. They lost master tapes. They lost all kinds of stuff. So burn your podcast. I See, I said burn. You, you don't burn vinyl, do you? Cut it. Cut a record. And that'll be around long after the apocalypse. This is Aerial View on thehoundnyc.com. And uh, father was the first word I came up with because Sunday is Father's Day, right? So I'm doing this thing with the question mark and the exclamation point, And the first word I think of is father, question mark. And then what, what can I put together with father? Hmm. Father along, exclamation point. You know, that was one of the things I thought of. Uh, hmm. I was going to say father a field, but no, I didn't even think of that. Because the next one I came up with, I thought, aha, father figures. And so in the newsletter, I wrote about father figures of mine. Two father figures, uh, my actual father and my mother's boyfriend who was like a, a, like a stepfather. Um, I didn't really get into writing about any other father figures. I've had father figures. I, it's unfortunate when that happens, when you turn somebody into a father figure. Generally speaking, you're going to be let down, has been my experience. Uh, people don't want to be father figures, unless it's, you're talking about some weird Madonna thing and, or uh, George Michael or whoever did that song. I forget, frankly. Uh, no one wants that mantle thrust upon them. I would, I would think. Uh, first of all, I, no one's going to look at me and think father figure. You know, I. There was a moment in time, and I, I think it was like 14 years ago, 15 years ago. I, I don't even know, frankly. No, longer ago than that. Wow. That would have only been like 2005, but long before that. I came very close. Very close. And somewhere out there, I still think there's like a 20, 21-year-old kid that looks like me walking around. Boy, wouldn't that be great? Some kind of weird soap opera tilt to my life at this point. It happened to a friend of mine. It's not that far-fetched. This guy I knew, I used to work with, he, uh, he had a daughter appear out of nowhere that he, ha he hadn't known about. And she was like, you know, 20, 
21. And it was true. And it happened. And he, it was like, whoa, what the... So I'm not, I mean, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. But, you know, I, I missed th that whole thing. And sometimes I feel like, gee, did, what did I miss out on? You know, fatherhood. What would that have done for me? How would it have changed me? Would it have made me, you know, less uh, fixated on, on myself? And, uh, you know, since I met Sweet Tea, fixated on her. But prior to that, I mean, I was fixated on myself mostly. I think we all are. Because it's, you know, we're the only ones living our lives, right? <laughs> so it didn't really, I, I wasn't really like, oh, gee, I want to, gee, I want to have kids. Like, any time I got into a relationship, and I had a lot of short-lived relationships, I was like three months and done. And it, it wasn't me. Generally speaking, it wasn't me. Walking away. I walked away a few times. I did have my pride. Number here is 760-422-5528. 760-I-CALL-AV. Aerial View live on the Hound, NYC.com, every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Replays Tuesdays at 6 p.m. And then it becomes a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Hound Howl on Sunday, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern, and then crashing the party following at 5 to 7 p.m. The doo-wop chop shop of the year with Mark and Miriam. So, you know, I was never one of these people dying to reproduce, you know? And I, I think... I think that uh, I used to have bad feelings about people who you know, decided that's all they wanted to do was have kids. You know, like... I got nothing against you, man, especially in this day and age, if you want to have a kid or two. But, you know, sometimes we're reading the news or something and we're looking at the, the news and we'll see a story about a family with <laughs> some ungodly amount of children. I mean, I, I think once you get up to like seven, eight, nine kids above that, I don't know what's going on there. But you, I know your wife is just really exhausted at this point. Every time you come near her, she's probably like, oh, oh, God, no. No. But then there you go. Come on, baby. Give me one more. Uh, uh, But, you know, I, 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 I'm not one of these people that... I read something the other day about um, somebody, somebody... I think it was on Facebook. Somebody was like, oh, here's another creep that like hates kids, doesn't like kids. And I, I, I had to think for a minute. Was, Am I like that? Do I not like kids? You know? Am I one of those douches? And, uh, and I realized I'm not. Generally speaking, kids like me. You know, pets like me. I like I like them. Roger's here with me, looking over my shoulder. Roger the cat engineer. Watching the whole show. Rog? You have anything to say? He seems to know when I'm on the air. And he just doesn't... You know, usually he talks all the time. Right, Roger? And now you're not saying anything. Rog! Come on, Rog! People are going to think I'm lying. Can't you help me out? No? Jesus. I'm going to need a pre-recorded Roger Cries sound effect. Keep this shit up. Where was I? So, you know, I was never really keen. I was never like, oh, I got to find a woman and have a, settle down and have family. I mean, I'm not sure it's con that conscious with anybody. I think it's just a natural turn of events to do that reproduce and I think uh, yeah, I've always said this and I you might have heard me say this please bear with me I'm, I'm going to say it again but people don't want to die they want to see their genes go spanning time 
They want to know that some form of them is going to be around. And, and again, maybe this doesn't happen at a conscious level. Maybe this is a subconscious thing driving them onward to find somebody. Having my baby. Like the salmon swimming upstream to spawn. 760-422-5528. So, you know, fatherhood, that passed me by. Maybe I passed by it. I, I don't know. It's too late for regrets at this point. And, I, and, and I'd like to retire someday. So you people with children. Oh my God. I, I just I, I just can't imagine like if you had a kid today, like a millennial kid, and he was trying to find work and get into the, get into a career, still living in your basement, and you're still paying for their car insurance, letting them live for free, and they're eating out of your refrigerator. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Is that what's bothering you, Bunky? 760-422-5528. 760-I-CALL-AV. We're about halfway through the program. and So, you know, I'm writing this article for my newsletter about father figures. And you can see it on my Facebook page, on my personal Facebook page. I've been posting there. I've been posting on the Aerial View page. You can find it at facebook.com slash call Aerial View. But uh, I posted some, some of the stuff from the newsletter, one of the pieces from the newsletter, which has changed titles over years, but I, I eventually settled on Stephanie Says. And it's really about the, the kindest thing my father ever did for me. And um, so I'm going to tell that story. First, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my old man. And by the way, he hated being called that. Like if I ever, if you ever heard me refer to him that way, uh, I don't know why I would ever do that, but apparently I did at some point. Or or maybe he just brought up the subject during one of our awkward phone calls. Oh, my God. Somewhere I have an actual recording of me talking with my father. And I, the only reason I did it is I wanted to write about it, and I wanted it to kind of be accurate. I didn't want to forget stuff that he said. And he said a lot of things. And I think it might have been one of the times that he told me that he thought I wasn't his kid. And I remember the first time he told me. It was 1987 in Lebanon, Tennessee. And uh, me and my friend Kaz had uh, decided that we would get a cheap ride to Memphis and from there, we would Greyhound to New Orleans for the Mardi Gras. And neither one of us really calculated what this trip was going to be like, but it was, it was horrible. I mean, first of all, we had to drive my father's Ford Econoline conversion van, which was loaded up with stuff, personal effects and whatnot. And we had to follow him in a, in a big yellow Ryder truck that was probably governed at like 62 miles an hour couldn't go above 62 plus he was towing behind it a Plymouth Horizon on a little trailer Plymouth Horizon was a four-door economy car from Chrysler Plymouth man it was ugly ugly car got good mileage so he's towing that behind the rider truck and we're following him in the Ford Econoline Kaz and I switch off driving and we've brought along I remember uh, License to Ill had come out, Beastie Boys record. We had it on cassette. We brought it along with us, listened to it during the ride. And uh, it was boring as, as, as fuck, this ride, down to uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And, and we, we stopped every night, you know, 6 o'clock before the sun went down, I guess. My father didn't want to drive after the sun had gone down. And we... Um, we, we did, we averaged probably, because this truck, I believe, was governed at 62 miles an hour, we averaged like 52 miles an hour. So we're just dragging ass 
like we leave out of uh, Valley Stream on Long Island, my father's ancestral home where he had stashed all his furniture, and we meet him there with his third wife, Karen. And uh, I even have pictures of the whole thing. Somewhere I have pictures of us. I must have brought a camera. Somewhere I have pictures of us going to this house in Valley Stream on old Dutch, whatever the hell it was, road. Dutch Elm Road or Dutch Elm Disease Road, whatever the hell it was, where my grandmother lived, among the coldest people I've ever met. It might explain a lot about my father, actually, my, my uh, paternal grandmother. Not a friendly lady, in my memory. Anyway, going over there for holidays, ugh. My brothers and I would always duck into Uncle Donnie's room because he was like an overgrown adolescent. He had all these cool die-cast cars on his shelves and we would pick up his die-cast cars and then he would come over and tell us to be careful with them. You know, like one of those kind of uncles. But we met them there and I swear to God, dragged ass, man. We just like, on, we're on the highway. At one point, we're going to get on the New Jersey Turnpike. They won't let him tow the Plymouth Horizon. They won't let him tow the car on the trailer for some reason. And and he's like losing his mind. We're pulled over by the toll booth. He's like, I'm like, what's going on? Well, they won't let me tow the car behind the, the truck. And I, I don't know if it's, I don't know why. It doesn't matter why. But I, I said to him, why don't we take the Plymouth Horizon off the trailer and I'll drive it and Kaz will drive the van and we'll just get to wherever we need to go and get off of the New Jersey Turnpike. And my father looked at me and like it, it, it hadn't it hadn't occurred to him. I swear to God, people, we would still be sitting there on the side of the New Jersey Turnpike by the toll booth. Because honestly, he just he was like, so what am I supposed to do? And, I, you know, I had a license. I think Kaz had a license. I don't really know. I don't know if I asked. I, I must have because we were switching off the driving. I know that much. So we, we eventually get to Lebanon, Tennessee, right? Just outside of Nashville. And, and I'm begging my father, can we take the Plymouth Horizon, Kaz and I, and, and go into Nashville? We've never seen Nashville. We would love to see Nashville. And my father just refused. Just flat out, no, that's not happening. You're not doing that. I'm not giving you the car. I'm like, why not? I mean, it's how stupid I am. Why not? I'm 24, 25, something like that. Because you'll get drunk and you'll, you'll crash the car. That's why not. I can't have that happen. So I'm sitting there in this van, Ford Econoline van. I'm having this conversation with my father. And at some point, Kaz just uh, pretty much just leaves, right? He's like, he's like I, can't, I can't stand it anymore. Um, and... I, I'm not sure how, what he does if he gets on a bus or what happens, but he's like he's out of there. So I got to do the last leg from like Lemon, uh, from Lebanon to Memphis. I got to do that with uh, by myself in the van, right? And um, I'm talking to my father, and, and there's a light rain falling now at this point, and he starts telling me this story about how he's pretty much convinced I'm not his kid. And I'm thinking to myself, is this just because I asked you to borrow? your shitty Plymouth Horizon to go into Nashville and you don't trust me to do that? You're now denying my your paternity? I mean, what's, what's going on here? And as he spins out this story, I'm thinking, holy shit, could there be any truth to this whatsoever? I mean, Justin, I'm trying to think, do I look like Justin? Do I sound like Justin? Justin was a Mason, you know, literally like a bricklayer, right? He had worked his way up to like supervising these jobs when they were putting up these buildings. And he would come to our house like four nights out of seven. He would have these work boots on. They'd be caked with God knows what. They would be untied. He would have stuff splashed on his shirt. He would usually smell. And he did this weird comb over thing. He took his silver hair and he combed it over his pate. And he had a little goatee. And uh, he sounded kind of like this. Hey, John, you want to hear what happened today on the work site? 
And my mother and Justin would sit in the living room and they would yell and scream at each other over copious screwdrivers. I would hear them, they, you know, I'd be in my room, which had become my room through a very torturous process, right? Because it was a room I shared with my brothers and then they started to move out of the other parts of the house and finally I had it to myself. So I'd be home listening on my headphones to my stereo, listening to my records. And, uh, and I swear to God, I would have the headphones on and I would have the music turned up. Be listening to Viva Torado, really having a good time. And in the background, I would hear my mother and Joan, uh, my mother and Justin. My mother's name was Joan. Joan and Justin yelling and screaming at each other. John, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Shut up! Shut up! Get out! Get out! You know, you would hear the music, but you would also hear that. <laughs> and, uh... And Justin, not much of a father figure. I mean, he would lend me money. Usually he'd make me work for it. Like he would drive me over to his mother's house in Massapequa and... I would do some light yard work or God knows what around around there. And he would give me a few bucks. He would give me rides everywhere. He always had a Pontiac. It was always white. And usually he had a new Pontiac every year. And he liked the Catalina. The Pontiac Catalina. And uh, he had this thing he would do. He would drive to like, I think it was Roosevelt Field. There was this car wash there that he really liked. Right? So sometimes on a weekend or whatever, you want to go for a ride? You want to go to the mall? Let's go to Roosevelt Field. Hey, John, I got to get the car washed. So, you know, my mother would go along. I would go along so I could wander the mall for a little while. He would send his car through twice. Run it through, fellas. Run it through again. White, gleaming white Pontiac Catalina. And he would drive with the one arm out the window his left arm, getting what they call the trucker tan. And he would have his hand drooped over the steering wheel right at 12 o'clock. And we would drive along and he'd say, Christopher, none of this was here when I was a kid. You see that building? I wasn't even here. I'm probably doing his voice a little too high. That's more like Joe Pesci. But he had a pronounced accent. He also had a wife. And she was an alcoholic named Doris. And uh, I don't know if she knew. I have no idea if she knew that Justin was coming over to our house like four nights out of seven. And sitting, making a fucking groove in the couch. Just making a depression in the couch from where he sat. He would sit on the right side of the couch. the Yeah, the right side of the couch. Opposite my mother. My mother would be in her own chair with her feet up on the ottoman. You're not going to believe what Bernie said to me today. Bernie who? Bernie who? Like you were supposed to know the players, I guess, right? But they would go back and forth to the kitchen, refrigerator. You'd hear the freezer open where my mother kept the Majorska vodka. Get the Majorska out, pour that in, three or four fingers. Put some orange juice on top of that. Stir it around quickly. Get back to arguing across the living room. And my mother would usually have some records playing in the background. She'd have some Tom Jones on or Engelbert Humperdank or someone on the Parrot label. And sometimes on a weekend, she'd get up and dance a little bit. Let's dance. John, I'm not dancing. I'm not getting up to dance. Ugh. No, not a good father figure. But, you know, I got excited when my old man told me this story. At some point, I started to think, you know, Justin, he's loaded. Wait a minute. Doesn't he have all that blue chip stock? I mean, this is years later. This isn't 1987 this is occurring to me. What's occurring to me in 1987 is that, Jesus, could this be true? Is there any way in hell? Because my father would, would tell me that, you know, uh, he, was, he was working for Justin for a little while. And Justin would send him to the north shore of Long Island. And they would drive together. My father, the family only had one car, so he would leave the car with my mother because she had all the kids. And what if there was an emergency? And he would take the ride with Justin to the North Shore. 
and Justin would drop him off, and he would ha- he would go. He would go back. Where? Well, my father said he would go back to our house. And I guess the word is shtup, my mom. You know? And, and I was probably the product of that hanky-panky. And, you know, I, I hadn't had a good relationship with my father up until then. It wasn't like we were best friends. And, you know... I was prompted to write about all this because Father's Day is on Friday. Uh, it's on Sunday, I should say. Today is Friday, right? Father's Day is on Sunday. And every time Father's Day rolls around, I got to see all this stuff. These, you know, tell dad, tell dad how much he meant to you. You know, just commercials for God knows what. But how, how are you supposed to love your dad? And I remember as a kid thinking, I, yeah, but I don't. I don't love my dad. I mean, I, I felt really terrible about that. I felt terrible that when I saw my father, my overwhelming reaction was fear. That's what I felt. I just felt afraid. My my father, he liked the physical punishment. He liked uh, to take his belt out of his pants. He would do that whole thing. It was like a ritual at one point. Like just slide the belt out of the belt loops, double it up, smack it against his palm a few times. And sometimes it would stop at that. Other times, you'd have your pants pulled down in front of your brothers and sisters. And he would whip your ass. And so when I would see my father come, and I would like I would hide. I would go the other way. And I also was convinced my old man didn't really care for me because I was fat. And he always wondered why. And maybe he was like, must be Justin's kid. Justin's fat. Maybe that's his kid. I don't know. I never got to ask my father. And he told me this on three separate occasions. He told me this again. Sometime after I tried to reconcile with him, I'd written him a letter and said, Hey, I would like to have some kind of relationship with you. You are my father. Blah, blah, blah. And we hadn't talked in years. I mean, it might have been ever since this trip to Memphis in 1987. I don't know. Somewhere I've written it down because I kept journals for many, many years. I would write stuff down. And I would record things like I, with my this conversation with my father. And I think he reiterated it in this conversation. I think he told me again about this. And when I asked my mother, her reaction was, Your father's crazy! So, it wasn't until years later I was able to confirm, by the way, that he is crazy. He was crazy. When I did a, a 23andMe test with my cousin to see if we had a common male heir. And indeed we did. And it wasn't Justin. So I don't get all that blue chip stock. Justin had no children. I would have contested that shit. Are you kidding me? Give all that money to, to, to what? NYU Medical School? His father's alma mater? First of all, how do you end up as a bricklayer? Your father's a doctor. I never could figure that one out, right? But all that beautiful blue chip stock went up in smoke. I had to realize my dad was Mario. That's how we used to say it. But you know, this story that I told, and uh, the one I mentioned earlier called Stephanie Says, um, was really about my father's second wife, whose name was Stephanie, and who I got to meet, we all got to meet, my whole family got to meet, Sometime uh, around, I would say, uh, 1974, 75, something like that. My father had, my parents had divorced. My father moved up to Scarsdale. He got a job at Burke Rehabilitation Center. He was driving a 1966 Mustang convertible cream exterior and red interior. He was wearing turtlenecks and smoking a pipe. He had beautiful silver, black hair, salt and pepper hair. Made a dashing appearance, my old man, with the big goddamn mustache. And he got this young chick. She was only a a few years older than my sister. And she was uh, attractive. Um, But there was one thing about her that, like, really, I couldn't couldn't take. And that was her nostrils. Like, she had this weird nose where her nostrils were, like, looking right at you. You know... How uh, like uh, animals with a flat kind of nose, like a snout, I guess. She had like that. So every time you would you would try to talk directly to Stephanie, you'd be staring 
into these nostril holes. And I always found that very disconcerting. And I always asked myself, I always thought, like, how does my old man, how does my old man see past this? <laughs> you know, and so that's this, this, this particular summer. And I think it was the summer, uh, I could actually look it up. Because I know the thing that was on the radio constantly was, Why Can't We Be Friends by War. It was every time you turned on the radio. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? And I would I would venture to guess that was 1976. So 1976, I'm looking forward to a regular summer. I'm looking forward to uh, you know being able to ride my Schwinn Continental down to the uh, to the mall, Sunrise Mall, not the Roosevelt Field Mall. And uh, I'm looking forward to hanging out with my cousin, JD. And we both ride our bikes down there. And I'm looking forward to going to the hobby shop. I could also ride my bike to the hobby shop. The hobby shop was great, man. It had a slot car track in the back. It had a pool table. It had these, like, you know, pre-video arcade games all around the perimeter. Did I mention the jukebox? I would sit there and I would play Radar Love. Because you get, get, like, five minutes and 15 seconds worth of song for your quarter or whatever the hell it was. And I was trying to maximize it. And uh, I would I would either run my, my slot car, and you could rent the slot car there if you didn't have your own slot car. But I had my own, me and my brothers. And these were the big slot cars. I'm not talking about your little, your little slot car. These were the big slot cars. Big track. The guy behind the counter, I want to say his name was Jim, but who the hell knows what his name really was. But he was a friendly cat. And I got way into model building, man. I would, I would put these models together. They'd blow your head off. And, and I would paint them. And I would put little pieces of carpet inside. I would customize them. I got so good that I was selling them to the guy at the, at the uh, model shop. And he would use them as displays. Like, look what you can do with your new Revel kit, your new monogram kit, right? And so I'm looking forward to a summer of building models and reading Mad Magazine and trying to see if I could find that Playboy again of my brothers so I could look at naked women again. And uh, listening to Why Can't We Be Friends on the radio and generally having a typical summer. And, and, and at some point, I'm informed that I'm to go up to Scarsdale and stay with my father. And not only that, but we're going, I'm going to go do this thing called Young People's Day Camps. And I'm like, what the fuck is Young People's Day Camp? What is that? And, I, you know, the commercials were all over the TV. And I put two, two and two together. And I'm like, oh, the, the commercial with the stupid animated balloon that tells you all the great things you're going to do uh, when you go to Young People's Day Camp for the summer? What is this? What, by the way, Young People's Day Camps. Is that some kind of communist thing? What is that? It sounds like a commie outfit. Your commie has no regard for human life, not even his own. Here, here, I think, I wonder if I can make this work, the Young People's Day Camp commercial. Because, I mean, it's stuck in my brain for so many years, I could not get it out of my mind. And then I'm being told I'm going to this thing. I'm going off to this thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm not terribly athletic at this point, I, I was never athletic, right? Here, let's see if I can get this to work. I'm going to try it. It might fall on its face, but here we go. I present to you the Young Hi. People's Day Camp. Now is the time to plan a great summer of fun for your child at Young People's Day Camp. Let me show you how Young People's Day Camp makes fun happen. At Young People's Day Camp, your child is picked up and brought home by Camp Bud. In between, the days are filled with fun activities. There's boat rides, all summer sports, long swims in the pool, arts and crafts, weekly field trips, and so much more. All under the care, supervision, and instruction of state licensed teachers and administrators. There are two to eight week programs available. And for the 16th anniversary year, tuition is just 110 a week for an eight week program. Camp shirts, tote bags, trophies, awards, and banners are all provided free. Act now to reserve a place for your child. For the camp nearest you, call in the five boroughs, 718-447-8010, New Jersey, 521-3600, Long Island, 731-1000, Westchester, Rockland, 664-8200, and for our new teen tours, 718-338-TEEN. 
Hey, who's this? Got it. Who's who is that? It's Phil. Yeah, Phil. I gotta finish this story that I was trying to tell. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you were doing a musical break. Uh, yeah. I don't really know what's going on here. I, I gotta turn this thing off. Hang on. Here we go. That's the problem. Found the problem, Phil. Yeah. Phil. Yeah. Uh, what did you want to add to the program? Well, I wanted to ask you, not to get too personal, but. Being raised by such bad parents uh, in bad relationships, how is it, I'm assuming you have a good relationship, how is it you are able to not adopt the bad tendencies? I did a lot of psychotherapy with a woman, uh, uh, several women, Naomi Sarna, Sheila Zaretsky, and then the current shrink is named Joan. And uh, so over the years, I've paid out of my own pocket to try to figure my way out of uh, the mess that I was in and to uh, have some kind of self-awareness. Because self-awareness, Phil, is the only thing that's going to break the chain. My parents were not self-aware people. So they uh, they were treated horribly by their parents and they ended up treating their kids horribly. They didn't have what yeah. you call good modeling. But, uh, Phil, I got like seven minutes left in the program and I think I want to finish this story. But that's is fine. that was that all you had? Was that the, uh, the question? I don't want to be rude. Yeah, I mean, so, no, that's fine. I mean, okay. there's nothing, no burning question. Just you know, I could have led into a conversation, but that's that's totally fine. There is, I mean, that's really it. There's no yeah. secret formula. Is I believe in talk therapy because you know, as I heard today, someone say, you know, talk, uh, language, and and cognition are very closely connected. So talking about stuff like if three year olds will do this thing. I think it's called, you know, where they they would talk, they'll they'll say everything that they're doing. It's kind of like a, a when a spaceman, you know, takes an extracurricular vehicular walk, you know, who goes outside of the spaceship and all along he's describing everything he's doing. I'm stepping outside of the capsule door. I'm, you know, you know what I mean, Phil. So, you know, I believe yeah. in talk therapy and I believe it's good for anybody and I and I think that uh, that's. You know, the only reason that I have a halfway decent relationship, I think I actually have a pretty good relationship with my wife because uh, we talk. We we can still keep the channels of communication open. Thank you, Phil, for the call. I appreciate it. You know, um, I'm I'm going to this moth soon at White Eagle Hall, and the theme is surrender. And I I would love to be able to get on stage and tell a story. And I kind of want to tell this story. So I gotta I gotta deliver this to you in the next six minutes. Uh, so you know Stephanie. So we're we're up in in Scarsdale. Uh, first of all, the news gets broken to me. You're gonna go do this thing, and I don't really have a choice. And you heard on that recording that I, they had two week programs and eight week programs. To my memory, this was not a two week thing that I went and did. This was like two months, like the entire summer. And my mother was happy because it gets one of the kids out from underfoot, right? She's got five kids underfoot. One of them she could she foist off on dad. And I, I, I don't know if my father was like, yeah, maybe he'll lose some weight. We'll go to, go to camp. He could run around all day. So they picked me up on a Saturday. I got my little Samsonite case. I've loaded up some clothes. I got uh, two model kits. I got a Harley Davidson from Ravel. Right, Harley Davidson Chopper, and I've got Snake Don the Snake Prudhomme's funny car, and I'm gonna build both. And I brought the glue, and I brought the testers paint, and um, that was how I was gonna spend my summer. I brought a pile of Mad magazines with me as well, and I was gonna spend my summer going to this stupid goddamn young people's day camp, trying to keep my father happy, losing some weight running around. And we get up to Scarsdale, and my father's got like a, a one-bedroom apartment. I'm going to be sleeping. I don't, I don't, in my memory, it wasn't a two-bedroom apartment. It might have been. But I, I don't remember like having my own bedroom. I don't remember that. I remember I sl- kind of slept out on the couch. And so I'm out on the couch every night, and, and during the day, this bus comes and picks me up. It's this little bus, little short bus. I don't know if it was painted yellow. In my memory, it was like white and green. It said Young People's Day Camps on it. It's driven by, and this guy's name was Jim. Jim, this he was a counselor and he was a college student earning a few extra bucks. 
and he would come and get me and then he would stop all along the way and he would pick up other kids and he would drop us off at a, at a county park somewhere in Westchester. And it was a big county park with many fields and I would, I would go out into a, in, into a baseball field and I would, I would uh, play softball for hours on end. I would stand in left field uh, where no one ever hit anything. One time a ball started coming towards me and I was excited. I was like running towards it with my mitt and this kid comes running over from center field and just grabs it right in front of me. And, um, you know, I couldn't run very fast because, again, the fat, but I could hit a ball really hard. I could put a lot of power into a ball. I could connect with a ball. I could send it flying home run, man, and I could knock in, I could knock in runs. And then I could do like Babe Ruth and just trot around, you know? And when the kids, I mean, that was the only thing that made it okay. Like, they knew I couldn't catch shit because I had this terrible eyesight, you know, this non-stereo vision, basically. 20-80 in the left eye, 20-20 in the right eye. So, the, you know, the depth perception was, you know, if I would look up and try to see a ball coming out of the sky, I would, not sure I could stick up a glove and catch it, but I could hit a ball. And that's all we did, day in and day out. And at one point... My father, who didn't really take interest in, in me at all, at much, decided to have a conversation with his son. And he said, what'd you do today? I said, I, I went out in the field. We played softball. Isn't that, uh, okay, what did you do yesterday? Same thing. What about the day before that? Same thing. Went out in the field, played some softball. My father goes in his drawer and he pulls out the brochure for young people's day camp. and Day camps, he starts reading all this stuff. What about the archery? No. Uh, swimming? No. Horseback riding? Nope. And it's dawning on him like that the, all these people are doing is driving us to this county park in Westchester and, and sticking us in a baseball field and letting us play softball day in and day out. And then they would break around noon. They would offer you a lunch that was like literally translucent. You'd hold up this bologna sandwich and you'd see this, the light shining through. And they'd give you an apple, mealy apple, and they would give you some juice send you back out in the field. It was a low-rent operation. So he picks up the phone and he calls Young People's Day Camps. And I hear this conversation and he starts, he starts asking this woman on the line and I could kind of hear her voice. That's the only reason I knew it was a woman, but the same questions he was asking me. And, and he's like, what are you people doing with my money? What, are you, you know, what is this? What am I paying for? What are you doing down there? I, I, what about all this stuff in your brochure? What about that? And uh, so uh, the next day, Jim comes and picks us up in the bus, drives us to some other place where there's a pool. There's a beautiful pool. And um, I'm not even sure I had a swimming trunks. I think I just had shorts on and I said, screw it. Because I didn't really like people seeing me. I didn't like people seeing me without my shirt on. I didn't want to be mocked. Because back then... We didn't have all this anti-bullying shit. So kids would just call you a fat fuck to your face. They would they would point at you and laugh. Call you, a, a, you know, a blimp. Make noises like you were an elephant. And that was just in your family. That's just your family. So you can imagine how these other people, you didn't know how they would treat you. So I, I would jump in with my shirt on. I'd say, fuck it. It's a hot day. I'm going in the pool. To hell with it. And uh, it was glorious. And I came home that night. My dad was like, so what'd you do today? Hey, we went, in a, we went swimming. And that was all he needed to know. All he needed to know was that he called these bastards and they responded. And uh, we did something besides go and play softball all day long. So I'm thinking, we, you know, what a nice moment between father and son, right? This father that I barely know, that I, I, I you know... For years, my old man, he just worked every goddamn day to try to pay the bills, right? So he, he had this Gulf station. They pumped that good Gulf gas. And he had a repair station there as well. Trophy motors, and he would repair cars, and that's how he made a living. And uh, so I would never see the guy. And when I did see him, you know, he'd usually be in a mood. There would usually be some disciplining that my mother had forestalled. And shifted on to him. It was literally like, you know, wait till your father gets home. You wait. You just wait. So he was, you know, the disciplinarian. And like I said, I would I, I would run the other way when I saw him. I, I didn't want to see him. 
But there we are in this house in, in Scarsdale, and Stephanie starts serving the dinner. It's chicken. She puts the chicken down. She's got, like, some casserole dishes, you know, uh, trays, whatever the hell they are, full of food that she's going to spoon onto the plate. At some point, she just drops the spoon. Mario? She always called my father Mario. Like, we tell us, Mario. My mother would say, Mario? Mario? And she would say, Mario. Apparently, she came from money, Stephanie. I found that out, that she was like some kind of heiress to some kind of fortune, right? So, my, you know, I'm thinking my father's really, you know, he's, wow, struck gold, except for those pig-like nostrils of hers, right? I always want to put my fingers into her nostrils, my forefinger and, and my, my middle finger, and drag her around the room. I couldn't stand her. So she drops the spoon, and she's like, Mario? What are we going to do about this? And he's like, do about what? What are you talking about? What are we going to do about your son? What, what about him? What about my son? Your son is the rudest, most disrespectful person I have ever met. Every night I have cooked dinner for your son. And has he ever said thank you or ever said anything to me? And I'm just looking down at my plate and my chicken. Suddenly it starts to get hot around my eyes. <laughs> and then this salty discharge starts rolling down my cheeks. And I realize I'm crying. Just sitting there silently sobbing. Because I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with you people. I don't like dad. I certainly don't like Stephanie. I want to go home and look at my brother's playboy. I want to ride my bike to the Sunrise Mall with my cousin JD. I want to go down to the hobby shop. And play Radar Love on the jukebox. I don't want to be here with you. And now you're you're calling me the rudest, most disrespectful person you ever met over some fucking chicken? Really? Really right now? So I'm thinking, okay, what's going to happen next? Because she's literally got her hand on her hip and she's tapping her foot. Well, Mario? Well? And my dad, you know, he, he pushes himself back from the table. He stands up. He looks at me and says, get your suitcase. And I'm like, huh, why? We're not staying here tonight. And I'm thinking, what? We're going to a hotel. So I go in my, to my little area. Again, I didn't have a room. I just had like a corner of the, di of the living room. And um, start packing stuff up. And, and now Stephanie, I hear Stephanie saying something to the old man. And the next thing I know, he's, he's, he says, come here. And they march into the bedroom and they close the door behind them. And I hear them in the bedroom and I hear them saying stuff back and forth to each other. And I'm all packed and I'm ready to go. And I got mad magazines and I got everything I'm going to need for a night at the hotel. And my father doesn't come out of the room. And I'm waiting and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, yeah, one night at a hotel. That'll be cool. Just me and dad, right? Doesn't come out of the room. Doesn't come out of the room. I'm thinking, oh. What's going on? And I still hear them talking, talking back and forth. Finally, he comes out of the room alone. Stephanie doesn't come out of the room. Closes the door behind him. He goes over to the couch, sits down, turns on the television. Starts watching TV. And I'm looking at him. I'm thinking, what? I thought we were going to the hotel. And, I, you know, I, I didn't ask him that. I didn't say that. I mean, I didn't want to really talk to him. Every time we talked, it was weird and awkward and strange and stupid. You know, like while I was there in Scarsdale, I remember they were showing Yellow Submarine on the Channel 5. And my father said, no, you can't watch it. I said, why not? It's like music and cartoons. Why not? Well, Yellow Submarine is a drug reference. It's drug ling lingo for a pill. You're not watching that. And I'm thinking, really? It is? Hmm, I never heard that. So every time I would talk to him, it would be weird and awkward. And, and now that I, I think about it, after what happened in Lebanon, Tennessee in 1987, I, I, I think all along he thought, this isn't even my kid. And now I have him with me, and he's fucking up my second marriage to, a, to an heiress, this fat fucking kid. <laughs> he's messing it up for me. 
And so we sat there watching TV and I, I think I went back to the table and I went back to my model, building my model and counting the days until this shit was over and I didn't have to go to young people's day camps anymore. Before we were done, though, with Young People's Day Camp, there was this kid, young black kid, and uh, I think his name was Leon. And he liked to sing along to Why Can't We Be Friends. He would come on the radio and say, Jim, turn it up, Jim. Jim would turn it up and he'd start singing along. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? So one day, instead of like saying, Jim, turn it up, he's like, Jim, I got to piss. Jim, Jim, I got to piss. And Jim was like, well, you're going to have to hold it, Leon. We got to get there first. You're going to have to hold it, Leon. And he's driving frantic, heading for the park in Westchester so we can go eat translucent bologna sandwiches and play softball all fucking day. And he's like, Jim, I, I can't. I can't hold it. And next thing I know, I hear And, and Leon's pissing all over the back of my seat. And I, <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jesus. Really? Really, Leon? And when I think of young people's day camps, now that's what I think of. Think of uh, hotel rooms I never got to go to. Think of uh, Stephanie's nostrils. I think of Leon pissing on the back of a seat. Oh, man. And I think of my father. I think of my father like... Once again, choosing himself over his son. Because that was really the motif of my old man. And it may be because of this idea he held. And held until he died. I never got to wave the results of the 23andMe test in his face and say, Aha! Here you go. But Father's Day, I mean, it means nothing to me. Nothing whatsoever. And, uh, I mean, I have a father-in-law. I love my father-in-law. He's a great guy. And I get a little bit of a glimpse through the relationship with him of, you know, what kind of relationship I might have had with the old man instead of the one that we had. And, you know, we, we, we did try to reconcile years later after this whole thing in 1987. It, it didn't go well. It ended with uh, tears and recrimination. As most things end, right? With uh, him yelling and screaming at me, claiming I swindled money out of him. And we never spoke again, and then he died. Down there in Florida. Happy Father's Day. This show will replay on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time here on thehoundnyc.com. And then it becomes a podcast. You can get it at uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Spotify and all that bullshit. And uh, The Hound Howl is back on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by Crashing the Party with Mark and Miriam, 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. I know this has been a supersized edition of Aerial View. We've gone a, a bit long, but uh, there you have it, friends. If you want to uh, leave a message any old time, 760-422-5528. That number is always active and recording. You can leave a message for the program. I'll play it on the air. If you want to drop me a line, it's aerialviewatme.com. And if you want to sign up for the newsletter, you can just send me an email there and let me know that's what you'd like to do. And 